0: And Jesus spake this parable unto them in response to what they had said to him. You're receiving sinners. You're eating with them. You're socializing with people that we don't think you should be socializing with. And Jesus responded to that comment with this parable to those there that day. What man of you, he said, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? until he find it. You see, he's telling them here and whether they got it or not, I don't know, but he's trying to help them understand that, that he is the shepherd and that he loves the sheep just as they love their sheep. And so he's kind of trying to use this analogy to help them understand the position of the Lord here and why he is going out and mingling with these that they think he shouldn't be mingling with. Because they're sheep and they're lost and they need the shepherd. Verse 5, and when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Thank God for that. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Anybody ever been that one sinner today? Amen. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And so as we start to look into the parable of the shepherd here, I think there are some things, as I said, you know, Paul tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And I feel like the Lord maybe can provide us some instruction today through this parable. First thing I think it's interesting about this parable that we want to look at and notice is the audience. Jesus is there with Pharisees and scribes. He's there with the religious of the day, right? The church, if you will. Uh, I use air quotes a lot. I just noticed that. I don't know why I do that. But the church, if you will, of that day. But also there are the publicans and sinners, those that are not a part of the church. And so his audience that day really is everybody. This is not an exclusive um, message. This is something that he is speaking to everybody. He has come to minister to everybody. The gospel this morning is not just for those of us sitting in this room here. I'm glad we're all here. I'm thankful that we're all here. But the gospel is not just for me. And the gospel is not just for you. But the gospel is for everyone. Jesus told us that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And furthermore, we don't get to decide who it is that God chooses to deal with. Amen? It's not up to me and it's not up to you to determine who it is that God touches and moves and calls. That's God's purview. He loves everyone, and the gospel is for everyone. Doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter how much money is in or not in your bank account. God has a love for you and has a gospel for you. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 that there is no respecter of persons with God. I'm so thankful for that. It doesn't matter if that person <laughs> doesn't matter if the person that I least want to see for the rest of my life walks in that back door this morning. The gospel is for them. Doesn't matter if my mortal enemy that does nothing but try to bring me down and and just burden me and crush me every day of my life, walks in that door. The gospel is for them. It's for everyone. And so I think the first thing that we understand from this parable is very simple, and it is just that the gospel is for everybody. And it's not up to me, and it's not up to you to decide who that is. Along with that, I think it's pretty plain that we see in this parable that the gospel is for everybody because the shepherd loves every sheep. Peter tells us that in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering I, to us word. Now, I'm very, very thankful about that word, long-suffering, in that verse right there. And I, you, you guys can act all... Whatever you want, but I know every one of us have needed that long-suffering more than once in our lives. He's long-suffering to us Not willing that any... Now, any is a pretty all-encompassing word, isn't it? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He died for everybody. John 3 tells us that he so loved... The world, the world, and all who are in it that he gave his only begotten son. The blessing today that we enjoy as we sit here in this house and that we will enjoy as we move into the, to the services today and the, and the presence of the Lord that comes and, and, and abides with us and all of the wonderful things that we, that we glean from the services today, all of those things are not just for me and you because the shepherd loves every sheep. It's for everybody. John 10, Jesus himself tells us that I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And I love this next verse. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's defining here why the devil is around and why he's around right? He's giving us a a pretty good understanding right here in this verse. What he's doing here and what I'm doing here. He's here because he wants to kill you, destroy you, crush you, take away everything that you have. I am here, Jesus said, that they, who are they? Well, if we look back up at that verse before, it's any man. Any man. I'm here, Jesus said, so that any man might have life and might have it more abundantly. The shepherd loves every sheep. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that he died for just me. I don't know if you know that verse, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say he died for Nathan Baker, or I could say Robert Baker, and then you guys could fight over which one that was. No, he says he died for all, for all. He loves us all with the same passion and the same fervor. And he's willing to go above and beyond, and in fact, he already has, to make every possible opportunity for all to come to repentance. He loves every sheep. The gospel is for everybody, and he loves every sheep. Abraham, as Paul tells us in Romans 4, is not just the father of the circumcision, But he's also the father of those that walk in the steps of his faith. We don't have to be of a particular lineage, of a particular uh, heritage today. All we have to do is exercise faith in Jesus Christ, and we can be a part of those that are in the sheepfold of the flock. The promise, as we find out in Acts chapter 2, is not just to a select few. Verse 39 tells us that it's to you, yes, but it's to your children and to their children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Jesus, the shepherd, loves every sheep. And I'm so very thankful for that. But what I'm also thankful for is that he's not just a God of the collective, but he's a God of the individual. Because it's not just us all that he loves. He also loves me and he loves you. And that's sometimes a very different thing. The fact is that the parable here tells us that specifically. That's what the parable seems to be about, right? It's not just that he loves the sheep in the sheepfold, in the flock. He loves all of us, even me, enough to pursue me when I have been led astray or wandered. He tells me that he loves me and you and not just us. I think it's very important for us to understand here today that he's not just a God of the plural, but he's very much a God of the singular. I think a, a great example of that is if we were to look at Psalm 23. I dare you to go through Psalm 23 sometime, and I may quote it. Let's just do it now. Let's count how many uh, plural pronouns you hear versus how many singular the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And we could go on and on and on. And you'll find that all of those pronouns are about me and I and mine. Because he's not just the God of the us. He's a God for me. He loves not only us, but he loves me. He's a very personal one-on-one kind of God. In fact, he loves us so much that he takes time to know us. He tells us a story in the Gospels about the sparrow that is sold, and it's not one of them that falls that he doesn't notice, but he immediately follows that up by saying, but you're more valuable than the sparrow. He says, I even know the hairs on your head. Amen. He knows us, but it's not just about us. That he knows. I mean it doesn't take very long to know the hairs on my head. You know, Brother Jordan's been knowing the hairs on my head for several years. Pastors he probably could tell me how many there are. That's that's just knowing something about me, but the Lord knows me. He knows my inner thoughts. He knows my desires. He knows my my goals, my, my ideals, what I want to accomplish in this life. He understands the desires of my heart. He knows more than just about me, but he knows me. In fact, Hebrews 4 tells us that his word is able to discern the thoughts and intents. Not just the thought, that's one thing, but the intention behind the thought. That is in my heart. The Lord can discern that. And the message to this point here today, I think, can be summed up very briefly in this. The shepherd loves me and he loves you. And nobody, I feel like somebody needs to hear this today, nobody gets you like Jesus gets you. (laughs) Not your husband, not your wife, not your mom, your dad, your spouse, your best friend, anybody. You know, often we find ourselves in a position where we do not approach the Lord when we should for whatever reason, pride, shame, all of those things. But I'm here to tell you today, nobody gets you like Jesus gets you. His love for us is so great, Paul tells us, that there's nothing that can separate us from him. If we were to look at the end of Romans chapter 8, He goes through a long list of things and tells us who's going to separate us from the love of Christ. He says it's not tribulation. It's not distress or persecution or famine. It's not nakedness or, or peril or sword. It's not those things that are going to separate us. He says, in fact, I'm persuaded that not even death or life or angels or principalities or powers or anything that is now or anything that is to come or any height or depth, or any creature, he says, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's love for us is so strong, there is nothing that can separate us from him, except us, except us. God loves you, and he loves me today, and that will not Change. Well, I felt the Holy Ghost hit there just for a second. Doesn't matter where you are this morning. Doesn't matter what you did last night. Doesn't matter. It does not, I'm telling you this morning, it does not matter. God's love for you does not change. Hear that this morning. Because the truth is, as sheep, it's easy for us sometimes to get lost. Even us sitting here this morning, it's easy for us to find ourselves as that one that's wandered away. Because we get so focused on chasing what we think is good grass, right? That greener grass that's just, just, just always just a few more steps down the path. It's always greener just, just beyond where we are now. And before we know it, we kind of find ourselves isolated, away from the flock. And that's where we find ourselves in danger of that adversary who's like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, there's safety in the flock, but it's not just because of the numbers, but it's because of the guidance of the shepherd. Because when we fall outside of the earshot of his voice, we begin to make decisions and choices that take us away from the fock. And we find ourselves in dangerous straits. Now, I'm not. Uh, this is a rhetorical question, so please don't uh, raise your hand or testify about it this morning. But has anyone ever noticed that when you uh, start to let those personal relationship things with the Lord go a little bit, it just gets a little easier to wake up and find yourself really kind of not wanting to do things that you know you should do? I uh, now I'm gonna say this because you all are here, but man. It was just really hard. I just I just didn't I, you know I just couldn't quite get up and make it to 9:30 service today, or Wednesday night, or or whatever the situation is. I just think that sometimes when we aren't as diligent as we should be, as Peter tells us to be sober, be vigilant. When we when we let those things slide, that prayer time, that study time, it becomes way easier to make those decisions that start to lead us away from the flock. Because when we stop listening to or hearing the voice of the shepherd, we start to make choices that are made after the way of man, right? There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but it leads us to death. Even those of us sitting here today can find ourselves in that lost sheep condition. But this isn't a bad news story this morning, because the gospel is the good news story. Because it doesn't just stop with the lost sheep. In fact, it tells us that the shepherd pursues him, because the shepherd seeks and saves. And that is what this parable teaches us. Every sheep has value, and any lost sheep is worth pursuing. We read that there's nothing more glorious in heaven than when that sheep comes back to the flock, when one sinner repents, all of heaven. Can you think about that? I mean, all one sinner, all of heaven, stops what they're doing and rejoices. Hallelujah. No one is without value to the shepherd. That's why he came, as we talked about earlier in John 10. He told us very plainly, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. He values you, and he values me. And he also values those that are not sitting here today. He values those people that are going to be down a few blocks uh, to the east at the bar here a little bit later on today. He values them too. He values us all, and he died for us all. Hebrews tells us that he ever lives to make intercession, that he might save us to the uttermost, all of us. And so we think again about Peter's words when he said, as we quoted earlier, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The shepherd is seeking this morning. He's actively pursuing those that have found themselves wandered and separated from the flock. So I think as we look into this parable this morning and we understand these things about what Jesus was saying that day, that there are other things I believe that maybe it can teach us. And there's a couple of other things I want to touch on briefly before I conclude. As I was reading this lesson and studying again this parable, um, it occurred to me that Jesus... In some ways, see if you follow me here, maybe it's just my crazy mind, but I don't think so. Some ways, Jesus is really just t- taking the story of the prodigal one step further. Because instead of the father just standing at the end of the road, waiting with open arms for that prodigal to return, in this parable, the, prodig- or the father is going and seeking and pursuing, even while we might be in the midst of riotous living. The Father is not content just to stay and stand and wait, but he pursues and he seeks. And so the depth of the love of the Father is on full display here in this parable. He loves us not only enough to accept us when we return and restore to us the fullness of our inheritance, but he also loves us enough to pursue us, pursue us. Even when we are places we should not be doing things we should not be doing. He will pursue us because his love knows no limits. He came to seek and he came to save. Amen. One more thing I want to touch on here as I begin to wrap up this morning. I think that as the flock... We also bear a little responsibility here. And what I mean is this. Before I get to that, I want to kind of go back to the setting of where this parable happens. We pick up at the beginning of chapter 15, but if you go back and read Luke chapter 14, you'll see that the primary dialogue, most of the time of that chapter, Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee. And the Pharisee has invited the Lord, along with some of his friends, over to his house to eat. And so as that dialogue happens in that chapter, Jesus is really speaking primarily to those that are in, there's my air quotes again, the church, right? Those that are sitting there in the house of the Pharisee. But it was only after Jesus left the Pharisee's house that the publicans and the sinners started to come to Jesus. And I think there are a couple of key things that we need to understand about why that is. As we look at our responsibilities as the flock, first, I think that the environment within that home was probably very exclusive. I think that those publicans and sinners weren't welcomed there. Right? We understand and we know that the environment we create in this place cannot be one of invitation only, it has to be a place of love and acceptance for every single person that walks in the door. That's not to say that we say we condone maybe some of the sinful behavior that they bring in with them, but we always accept the people, and we always love them. We always love them. The sign behind me says, you're welcome. This is home, and that is the message of this church and I believe personally this church does a great job of that. There's another thing here too that I think we should notice. And maybe sometimes I'm not quite as good at this one as I am at the other one. Because it's not just that the the environment within the home was exclusive and that those people weren't welcome, but it's also that they're not drawn to that. They're not drawn to religion. The publicans, the sinners, the lost sheep, they're not drawn to the piety and and the the religious culture, if you will. They're drawn to Jesus Christ. And so it's only after he kind of gets out of that environment and begins to walk down the road that those people feel drawn and compelled to come to him. Because it's not about the house where we sit today. It's about the one who sits in the house with us. And so I think if we really understand the times we live in and the commission that the Lord has given us, I think it's not beyond reasonable for us to know and recognize that our mission is what his mission was. That our mission, as we have in our mission statement, is to lead people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ Those aren't just words that somebody thought of and wrote down on the paper because they sounded good. That's from the heart of the leadership of the church. That's what we want this church to be. That's what all of us want this church to be. And in doing that, we have to understand that it has to be about him and not about us. That's our mission. We're ambassadors, Paul says, for Christ. In another place, he tells us that we're supposed to yield our members as instruments of righteousness for him. We are the body that is guided by the head, which is Christ. And so in other words, I think you could say it like this. In addition to being the flock, we're also the ones that the shepherd uses to find, to minister to, and to lead home the lost sheep. Amen. We're the arms, we're the hands of the shepherd. But what we do and what we say has to emanate from the spirit of the shepherd that lives in us, or it's not going to be its most effective. Remember, the lost sheep are not drawn to the church. They're drawn to Christ. He said, and we, we said it before, but I'll, I'll, I'll quote it again. John three fourteen. Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Because it's when He's lifted up that those that believe in Him don't perish and have eternal life. The only way to salvation this morning, as we know, is through Jesus Christ. And our job as the flock and those that are the body that the shepherd uses is to show the world the shepherd and not us. And I think to best do that, it takes us being tuned in to the Spirit and in lockstep with the shepherd. We have to allow those lost sheep to see the Spirit of God shining through us instead of what we think we have to offer. I've been guilty of that. Oh, I can just give you some super awesome theological thought that's just going to really make you think. But is it going to compel you to the Lord? I don't know. Because it's the Spirit that draws us. It's the Spirit that draws us. And so everything we do has to be rooted and grounded in that Spirit. And I, and I will admit to you today, there have been times in my life, and I'm probably not alone in this. I've heard others testify the same way, that I would maybe not as in tune with the shepherd as I should have been. Maybe I had let some of those personal things go a little bit more than I should have prayer, study. And maybe I wasn't quite prepared to minister to the sheep that I encountered as I journeyed. And so maybe what could have been wasn't that day because I was not where I needed to be and what I needed to be in tune with a shepherd God wants to use us, and he wants to use us to minister, to lead people to a saving relationship. But it's up to us to do everything that we can to keep ourselves in a position where we're the flock and we're within earshot of the shepherd's voice because the shepherd's voice will guide us and lead us and help us to understand the ways that he wants to use us.